0: to get in the room for tv you do need an agent if possible know your type. what's the worst thing being typecast in a role or not getting any work i've got some funko
1: pops you've got a fucking bafta
0: and i think soap is incredibly hard to work on Danny from Actors Coaching International in the U.S. Hello, Daniel from Actors Coaching International in the U.K. So, Danny, what classes does ACI provide? I'm so pleased you asked that, Daniel. We provide weekly core acting classes.
2: Online and in person.
0: We run self-tape classes. Casting director workshops. Audition-ready classes. Industry professional workshops with award-winning directors. Script analysis sessions. Intensive two-day acting workshops. Why not go to actorscoachinginternational.com?
1: to find out more
2: hello everyone so tonight we're joined by writer darren little darren how are you i'm very good good evening (laughs) good 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 how are you matt
1: yeah i'm not too bad i'm not too bad you got a bit nervous there about doing the intro but i I think you did pretty well i think you did okay
2: I never do it. We usually, I mean, we're,
1: we're supposed to lead in with the branding. You're supposed to go, you know, welcome welcome in the room, Darren, or, you know, get the branding in there. But it's fine. We'll just go with hello. It's okay. You did a good job.
2: I was just checking you on the ball. So, uh, yeah, Darren, if we could just kick off with a simple question. How do actors get in the room?
0: Oh, my gosh. That mm. is... Uh, that is, like, there's so many answers to that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so... I think the first thing is really to get in the room for TV. You do need an agent, sure, and your agent will be sent out everything that everyone in TV is looking for, and they should put you forwards. Now, having been in the situation of casting shows and going through spotlight and stuff like that, the first thing, most important thing, I have I say to any actor is make sure your headshot looks like you, and if possible. Know your type. Like, what type of roles are you likely to get, and therefore hone your headshot or shots to that type. Lots and lots of people don't. It's like if you've got, you know, if you if if you've got a a, a part of yourself or or like something about you that you think is fantastic and you want to show that off, show that off. Because when you're just flicking through photographs, um, I mean, I know it's all, I mean. We do it in different ways now, but last time I did it was literally through headshots, eight by tens, eight by tens, eight by tens. And you're literally doing it at that speed, you know? You're not like looking at one going, hmm, yes, I wonder, and then pick up the next. You haven't got time for that. So you need ones that grab you and you go... because. As a producer or a writer, you, you, I have um, ideas of who the characters are in my head and who, what they look like. So I'm looking for that kind of picture. Sometimes you find someone you go, oh, they're quirky. They might do. They could do something with it. You know, on the whole, look like your photo.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because sometimes um, I've been told as well, mine was too edited, looked a bit too modelly for what I was supposedly going up for.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I used to um, be a patron of the Manchester School of Acting, and I used to say to them, because it was still on then, who are you in Friends? You know, are you a Chandler? Are you a, are you a Ross? Are you um, a Monica? Know your type. And you can look at any kind of programme and you go, I would fit in this show. I know I would. Why? Ask yourself why. Don't kid yourself um, if it's a YA and you're too old for it. You know, just know yourself and know the branding. Look, you are your own brand these days, you have to be. And so know your own branding. I think that that's so important,
1: especially when you're starting out. I think some people are terrified of being typecast as a certain role. But if you don't double down on your strengths at the start, then you might never get going in the first place. I I, I see.
0: What's the worst thing being typecast in a role or not getting any work? pretty simple
1: isn't it <laughs> before we move on yeah. to the next question darren i was um gonna say that i've got a bit of bookshelf envy going on your your, your bookshelf darren's got the most amazing bookcase packed full of books and i've got this little it's covered by the mic this little tiny little bookshelf in the corner and not only that darren but i'm going to compare the knickknackage that we've got on our bookshelves i've got some funko pops You've got a fucking Bafta on your bookshelf. <laughs> like, can we swap? I'm going to write that question. Like, Are we allowed to swap? You can. No. Um, no?
0: Fair. I only. I only, um, I only came back from LA like four four months ago because I've been living over there for the last four years, and it costs a fortune to bring everything over. It's a bloody nightmare. <laughs>
1: Well, we are always interested to hear about the start of our guests' careers, what brought them into this industry in the first place. Can you give us a miniature version of your story? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I grew up with my grandmother, was and she was really, really interested in Coronation Street. It was on two nights a week then. So we used to watch it, and I'm an inquisitive child, and I used to ask questions about it. Then, when I was 13, I wrote to with a question about one of the characters and got a letter back from this guy, who, and it was signed. Um, he was the archivist. And so I looked into this and meant historian. And so when I was 13, I said, that is the job I want. And when I was 21, uh, 22... And did my de- I went up to Manchester because I wanted to work in Coronation Street from London. I um, did a degree in television and film production, and then in my second year was taken on as the archivist on Coronation Street. So I got my job in the second year, and then just finished my my degree whilst I was doing it. And then I I was working in the office there for twelve years, and I went back to um, no one had done it before. I I went back. To, I transferred all the original films and VTs. They used to be on two-inch, they used to go to one-inch. Transferred everything, um, make it a bit more digital. I got VHS copies of every episode. So I watched every single episode whilst reading every single script. So I did 14 episodes a day for three and a half years. And in that, I learned exactly what made a good story, what made a bad story, what was a good script, all about characterization. And then I started writing Coronation Street. It's amazing how
1: crystal clear that is. That you literally said, "That's what I want to do," and you you made it happen. That's so awesome.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm really like really lucky, really blessed for that. But that's that's exactly the way it happened. And then Coronation Street led to work in America. Um, and then I did The Road to Coronation Street as a drama, best single drama of the BAFTAs, which I've got a BAFTA for. Um, and then uh, for the last eleven years, I've been writing EastEnders. But I've also eleven years ago I set up uh, the Anywhere's Essex um, and sort of like set up, helps st- head up set up structured reality. Um, left Anywhere's Essex after the first season. Set up made in Chelsea. I've been on that ever since. That's twenty four seasons, and I now do shows on Netflix, which are anywhere but not UK or not US. My dog's going crazy in the corner.
2: That's amazing. And that actually feeds really nicely into the next question. Um, So obviously the work you've done, as you said, over your career spans a huge number of mediums and genres from soaps to reality TV, to drama TV for American audiences, as you said, what are the parts of the writing process or approach to these sort of projects that never change regardless of the job?
0: Um, For me, it's, it's story. I love story. Um, I love the whole engine of story because people are constantly saying, how do you think things up constantly? You just do. And it stems from knowing the characters. If you know, and it's like, you know, I've worked on Cornish Street, I've worked on Hollyoaks, I've worked on the American Soaps, now on EastEnders. In my head, I literally carry about 2,000 characters. Um, And you kind of like know how they would all act in a certain situation and how they speak and how they don't speak, and then you know, the ones you're writing at the moment, what their relationships are with everybody. So you just have to carry an awful lot around with you. Um, your dreams are fucking crazy. I still dream about you know, <laughs> Beth Lynch, um, and I haven't written to her for her for like 20 years, but there you go. <laughs> but uh, you, you carry the characters around with you, and once you know the characters inside out, it's like you knowing your relatives. You know how your relatives speak, and how they will react in a certain situation and so that's the same thing that happens in all the dramas now the thing with um reality structured reality is again getting to know the cast and trying to second guess how they will react if you put them into certain situations so again it comes down to knowledge of the material the material being either characters or real people yeah
1: 100 percent. i mean that's just as you said that the sheer amount of characters you've got going on in your head i mean some of us have that many voices going on in our head but it isn't quite as healthy or reasoned as what's going on in yours
0: it's oh, I fantastic! Never i never said it was healthy <laughs>
1: <laughs> well let's move on to soaps you mentioned it um about you know it was the start of your whole journey was coronation street watching that at home and You know, soap operas often get criticised for, you know, apparently bad acting and and writing and forgetting that these are choices or rather structured limits of of the show itself with the the speed of production influencing the writing and the acting processes. You know, as someone who has that vast amount of experience and clear passion for the genre, can you come to the defence of um soap writers and actors
0: <laughs> it, it really frustrates me actually a lot of the time when all my friends are actors um i just surround myself with actors all the time they're the only people i feel comfortable with and when you meet um someone fresh from drama school or or wherever and they go oh i would never do soap and you go why would you never do soap?" Well, it's it's soap it's just mass produced and then i go well okay so you get a role in the theater you play that same role the same lines um every night matinees and anything. if you're lucky for six months or a year whereas you join a soap you're constantly changing you're in different stories you're working with different actors you're learning so much from other people you are pushing yourself in different directions you're doing comedy you're doing tragedy you're doing fast you're doing drama you're doing all sorts of things that you will never do in anywhere else and i think soap is incredibly hard to work on if you're an actor because you well there's two sorts of soap actors and this has always been the case um those who are really heavily trained and um play a character who is not like themselves okay uh to my mind sarah lang she comes into mind working with her on Ra- as raquel that is so far from sarah as, as ever but she created that role then there's the other soap actors and they tend to be a lot younger certainly holly Oaks is um is full of them and they're great um who basically are playing a version of themselves they just play themselves and they might not have the range but then when they work with some of the other actors and they're learning things and they create the range a bit more and you see the character growing and you see the character developing with what they're bringing to it because in an ideal situation you want to be playing a tennis match with the writers because we create a character we could be writing a character for three three months and who hasn't been cast yet, then someone is cast, and they come in, and we see them on the screen, and we go, oh, they're quite good at that, and so we throw a ball back at them, which is about that, and then they grab that, and if they've got any sense, they throw it right back at the writers, surprising us again with a with a performance, and then it's a volley, and when you get that going, you get some amazing characters that become iconic. Um, I don't agree that uh writing on soaps is, is bad. Um I think writing in soap is bloody brilliant. You look at everybody who's big in British TV writing wise um, now, I've I've worked with them on soaps, whether it's Russell T. Davis, Sally Wainwright, Paul Abbott, Jimmy McGovern, um, you know, Kay Miller sadly died recently. Um, all of these, Frank Cultural Boyce, like they all started on soap many of them are um, on coronation street and that's where you learn your craft that's where you learn about characterization you learn about story you learn about scheduling because we have to tell continuous stories um three or four stories per episode and an episode is either if it's on itv it's 23 minutes if it's on the bbc it's uh it's about 27 28 minutes and you have to fill that space um and at the same time you've got three lots of directors working on their weeks each week is either six five or three episodes or two or four episodes or whatever they are depending on the soap and so you can't just sit there going oh do you know what i just think that i'm gonna write so and so and so just walking through albert square no because that's not available and that actor isn't available to do that because they're busy that week doing something else so it's a complete factory it's a fascinating way of learning to the craft of writing and also immensely fantastic um as as actors
1: it's like the rep theater almost of the modern day really isn't it, it, it that's kind that's of exactly. what it is
0: we that's don't exactly. we don't
1: have that anymore
0: no and but, that's how when coronation street started um, they literally created a bible of all because um, all the actors in the north because actors in the north did not get television roles they they were used in the background as extras because they um to to, to speak on a drama in the bbc uh, to, to, and bbc or itv you had to speak the queen's english and they worried that no one would understand the people in the north, so they were just the background artists. But they were all members of Oldham Rep or Blackpool Rep or something like that, and many of them will work together for years. Then suddenly Coronation Street comes along and they pushed to the, to the front. Um, but they have that rep background when you play a different character every week, you know, in in the theatre. So yeah, in a lot of ways it is rep acting, and I and I love that. I think that's fantastic when you look at some of the fantastic, you know, actors who have come from soap whether it's you know sir ben kingsley you know all the all the way through and now like you know 15 years ago you had like syria mckellen going i want to be in in coronation street you know laurence olivier always wanted to do soap but never quite managed it it's a it's a fine art
2: couldn't agree more yeah darren being the only writer if wikipedia has this correct of course to pen more than 100 episodes of both Corrie and eastenders we feel like you're the perfect person to ask about getting shit done. So uh, firstly, (laughs) apart from official deadlines that must keep you up at night, how do you get over uh, writer's block or anxieties over your scripts?
0: Oh, every writer has a different way of, of writing. The first thing I do whenever I'm commissioned to write a script, whatever it is, is I get my calendar out and I say when it needs to be delivered, where each block needs to be delivered, and then I go through my calendar and I block off days all the way through it in one colour. So I always know, I look and I go, blue, I'm writing that day. A lot of the time in soap, you, you actually can't afford writer's block. You have no, there's no time for in the schedule if you're lucky there's you know you you sit and you start for a day and it doesn't come but you know you've got another two days to do it but sometimes you get notes and they've got to be turned around in within a day or two days in all the soaps and um you you can't afford that kind of moment i find if that does happen to me i just immediately walk away i go for a walk with my dog go to the gym something like that come back sit down again and hopefully it comes and most of the time it does you can't be precious.
1: I like that. And I think that applies to acting as well. Sometimes, when you're working to a deadline to work on an audition or a self tape or something like that, you know, you, you wish you had a month to do character research and answer questions and do this and that and the rest. And it's like, no, you've got two days, you've got five pages of dialogue to learn. You can't afford to be uh, wanky about it. You just got to get it done.
0: The worst, the worst thing anyone can ever do in this, in this profession is to be too precious. You can't. It's like um, a writer. When, when we write soaps, I always say to new writers that they, they, they panic. They got a story. They, they, you know, they're passionate about their story, and I say, "Well, that's great." But once you say that story in the room, it's no longer your story. It belongs to the program, and the producers and the script editors and everyone will will just do stuff to your story. And at the end of the day, you'll you might look at it and go, "Well, that wasn't my story, but it was inspired by your story." Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't be precious. You have to just get on with it. The worst thing you can do as a writer or an actor is, is turn in something late. You know, it's not like it's not like school or uni where you can just go, oh, I just need an extra few days. No, they're not going to employ you again.
1: Yeah, I, I tried that at the school that I, I grew up in. I don't know if you could tell by my accent, but I was very fortunate or rather unfortunate about where I went into school. If I ever, if I ever turned in any homework late, Harris! It was it just, it just wasn't good at all. Anyway, we're, we're going to avoid my school PTSD, and we'll move on a bit to um, more about your um, coming up with original ideas for scripts. You, you kind of mentioned earlier about the fact that you've got so many characters buzzing around in your head and the, these voices are going on, so that actually helps you with the scripts because you're constantly hearing these voices. How do you then... I guess, filter down what's probably useful, what is original, because I presume as well, a lot of the time, singer-songwriters going around, they hear songs in their head, and they're thinking, oh, shit, have I come up with that? Or have I just heard that on an advert, say? So how do you know when your ideas are original and are worth going from your head onto the page?
0: Well, there's a difference between, like, in, in soap, you up with stories within like a story conference room so full of other writers and producers when you're doing stuff on your own you're developing things on your own in soap i mean i'll just say you know like oh my gosh we should totally do this and then i get told yeah emmerdale did that last year i go oh we don't do that it's it's like it comes back to again knowing your characters and even if a story has been done before like if you're doing your own thing and it's very similar to something else, and you're aware of that. If you still have faith in your show and in faith in the characters, you should pursue it until... And people will knock you back and they'll go, no, we don't want this because we want this. Because this is the thing about um, the TV industry. I found it in America as, specific, as as well as as the UK. No one really knows what they want until it's there. Like, Killing Eve took seven years to be commissioned, know everyone in the uk turned it down so it was bbc america who commissioned it and had it made so it used to go out in bbc america before it came out in the in in the uk and then it was such a huge hit everyone suddenly was like we need the new killing eve like you go into a commissioner and you go i've got this go, is she does she she kill people and you go well no supermarket manager No, they're looking for sexy assassins, and you go, Well, you weren't looking at it for seven years. <laughs> Who knows? The next thing might be this 50 year old market woman, supermarket woman that might be your next best thing. Very true.
2: <laughs> so, you introduced the first gay character on Coronation <laughs> Street, Todd Grimshaw, in 2001 and while representation should be given in all areas of entertainment, do you feel like soaps with their huge audience and ability to tell long, long stories are a particularly good medium for exploring exploring topics such as homosexuality, race, disability?
0: I think they are. I think they have a duty to, and I think they are. But there's only a limit that you can do. It's because like, yes, you want to be inclusive. You want to show everything. But like, I mean, forgive me if i 'm wrong, but i can 't think of a Jewish family on a soap at the moment it 's like where do you where 's the boundaries and it 's like as soon as you have a gay couple, then everyone has a gay couple if you have a trans um character, everyone has a trans character, and yeah. you go okay where 's the it 's the chinese family where's the jewish family where 's this you know what i mean it 's like a lot of the a lot of the trouble with soaps is well, not the trouble, it's the delight, you have established families and established characters. And by nature of being established over 20, 30 years in this country, they tend to be white. When you create new uh, families, nobody, it's really diff- its really hard to get new families up and running on, on a soap opera. I remember in, in Coronation Street that we introduced, uh, we, wasn't, I wasn't born, but in 1964, they introduced Stan and Hilda Ogden. People hated them for years. The Duckworths, Jack and Vera, people hated them. You know, the McDonald's, which I was there for when we created them, oh my gosh, everyone hated them until we she lost a baby and then suddenly everyone loved them. So with the Grimshaws, I, I was given the opportunity, because Eileen had two sons, to create two aspects of me. Jason's, uh, Jason didn't really know his dad, I never really knew my dad, and Todd knew he was gay but didn't want to be gay which was me. So it, it took me, I mean, I've, I've, this isn't a secret because I've, I've talked about this before, but it took me two years to get, I mean, yes, I created them in 2001, but it was only until 2003 that I could convince the rest of the writers that we could have a gay character on the show. And the show had been going for 43 years at that point. Now it's hard to imagine a show like Coronation Street or EastEnders or Amadell without yeah. an openly gay character in. And, and what's great about that? I mean, I did it with the Carters, with Johnny Carter and EastEnders as well. And Hollyoaks helped, you know, Brian Kurt with the producer, with JP and Craig. It's it's really interesting because what I love about it is that I still meet people that go seeing Todd kissing Nick and coming off that that really helped me or seeing you know when when Mick guessed that Johnny was gay oh my gosh that really helped me in my relationship with my dad and you go well that's fantastic because that's what I'm doing it for but yeah it is difficult though because you get to a point where you you as soap writers you should be able to write all the characters and what's fantastic about so to the moment certainly my only experience at the moment the last 11 years is EastEnders and what's great about that is that the producers will tend to commission the writers who have come up with the story or they know are sympathetic to that story or it can bring something personal to it but you can't be justified by that character you have to be defined by by all of them and be able to write all of them
1: yeah I was going to ask on that really I guess as you said when we we asked you specifically about Todd Grimshaw and the fact that that the The homosexuality aspect of that was was deeply personal to you, and that that was why you were the right writer for that these days when you know it applies to actors as well, you know who can write what who can play what I guess is quite a big discussion at the moment. Yeah. I just like to get your opinion on that type of it's
0: matter a discussion within the industry as well and this is my personal view. this has got nothing to do with whoever I'm working for at the moment or in the past to be honest but my view is act as act. It's like if we have a character, um, whether it's a soap or in a drama, who's a serial killer, you don't go out and cast a serial killer. You cast an actor who can bring something to the role. Now, having said that, I do think it's important that if you have a, let's say, a gay character, then you should be looking to fill it with a, a gay actor if they are the best person for the role, you know? It's like Todd in History, Street, um, Bruno Langley, the original cast. He he wasn't gay, but he had a real sensitivity about him. He was very close to like his mom and his sisters, and like he was he was kind of like the ideal person for me to to play a younger me, you know, who doesn't who didn't want to be gay and was fighting against it. I'm not saying that a gay actor couldn't have done it brilliantly or even better, but that was the thing at the time, and I think it's very dangerous to sometimes pigeonhole people too much because the same applies to writers you know i am somebody speaking personally who who does my best writing for the gays and for women certainly middle-aged women if you follow that along then i should just be writing for middle-aged gay men and there aren't any role characters so i would be unemployed if i if i if i said that i do think it's important if you're looking at a for a specific character for a specific reason for instance um someone who's non-binary or or trans i think it's very important that you go out looking for writers with that life experience and that you listen to them and where possible you 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 let them take hold of that story but you need to be saying to them what is the story to play rather than having someone around the table which just ticks a box you know i just think it's 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 life experience and if you can bring something to that table then then you have to bring it that's why you're there hi we're selftape.co.uk but uh, don't forget the hyphen that's self-tape.co.uk it's a bit of a mouthful but it's a mouthful worth chewing on uh, anyway, as the name suggests, we do self-tapes for actors in London. Maybe you've run out of time. Maybe you have kids. Perhaps you can't find a reader. Or, let's face it, you could just be a little bit at setting everything up. Well, that's where we come in. But it's not all we offer. No, we also shoot showreels for actors, too. Custom showreel scenes shot from scratch to show casting directors and agents exactly what you can do. Well, that is, if they can be bothered to watch. Any In The Room listeners get 10% off all of our services just by quoting In The Room. So get in touch and visit www.selftape.co.uk. Or don't, it's completely up to you. But whatever you do, do, don't forget the hyphen, self hyphen to, ah, you get it.
1: We'd love to talk to you quickly about your your work in the US. You mentioned the fact that you know you've had that whole moving kerfuffle coming back to London lately, and let's talk a bit about your work in America. I mean, you were the associate head writer on the US soap All My Children for NBC, and story consultant Weinr for CBS. Both shows got you Emmy nominations. But do you have to change your approach when writing to suit an American studio and audience? And if so, was that initially difficult? And have you brought anything new back to your work for UK TV and film over the years? Or is there not
0: that big a difference? No, they are completely different. Soap operas, I don't have any experience writing dramas. I I was trying to develop my own dramas and then COVID hit and no one was buying anything. But as far as soaps are concerned, their soaps are daytime. They're an hour long and they are very restrictive. Mainly they are in studio or studio, six acts set around the certain same characters and you see them in the same set, every act, hardly moving the story on. So that's very different. Also, they're incredibly aspirational. They all—I mean—they all live in massive mansions, so the sets are huge. Whereas in British soaps, they're much more ordinary people. So, I mean, I was trying to convince the likes of NBC and uh, other places to look at doing some ordinary people soaps, which might be daytime, and they—they just couldn't get their heads around it. Why would you (laughs) want to watch that? And then, then this is—you go well. This is us. This is us as a soap. You know? Yeah. Um, but if you had a larger cast and if you had it all in a, in a street or an apartment block, and they're just like, yeah, but like, so, and I go, it's half an hour. They go, no, 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 no. Half an hour is comedy. Drama and soaps are an hour. Huh. And they can't go on in the evenings because, you know, that you've got the comedy slot till nine. Then you, well, you've got the new slot, you've got the game show slot. Then the, and it's these things are set in stone since they have been since the 50s and they mm-hmm. just don't change. I didn't ever write dialogue for, for either Young the Restless or All My Children. I, it was my job to come up with story and and create documents which were then given to the dialogue writers who then just write the dialogue. And in, in a way, it's flipped around in the US so that the dialogue writers are below the people who come up with stories. It's, 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 it's a weird way of doing things. It works for them really, really well. But uh it completely threw me absolutely when i was starting all my re- oh, uh, sorry all my children which was like 2008 and we had the one black family and then all these white families and i said my my first pit, my first pitch was oh right well you know the the daughter from the black family starts a relationship with the guy from this guy and they were like whoa no 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 no, no interracial relationships so it's 2008 Wow. That's mad.. Crazy. Like um, okay, well look, we' were ringing back her son and he's been at university, so you know, he, he could be gay. No, no, we don't do gay. We, we don't, don't
1: do gay. gay.
0: And so what you quickly learn is that the people who watch, the, the most people who watch soap operas in the US are what's called like middle, middle America. Good old Trump supporting Christian folk. Who like their stories, and they d- don't want interracial relationships. They don't want anyone gay. They just want the families just getting on with things. And occasionally they have an affair, and someone dies, and then a few years later you bring them back from the dead. Yeah, it's very wow. different.
2: And how much is and how much is is like as of today? Is it still kind of like that over
0: there? Or is yeah, it moving no, it on? Is, it is. It is completely, and it's like. And the viewing figures are just dropping and dropping and dropping. And then they're not, I don't think they're interested in new viewers. They just want to keep the ones they've got. So they're keeping those happy.
1: That's um, interesting. Before not, you
0: move on. Yeah, Young and the Restless. Before, sorry, when I was on Young and the Restless, which was only like, I started that uh, 2018, we brought in. Now, bear in mind that soap operas there have been going on since the 1950s. So, we created daytime TV's first Latin family, Latino family, which was crazy. And it was really, really difficult because, like, you know, the, the viewers just took against them that they have no place in my soap. Wow.
1: Yeah, the possessive nature, that's really interesting. Just before you ask the next question, Christian, I've got got one more follow up. I've just found this really touched on something that's really interesting here. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Darren, because I'm not as well, very few people alive are as experienced with soaps as you are. But in terms of the difference between the audience's reasons for watching, I'd love to be curious because I've always found that British soap operas, are a lot about presenting characters in situations or from backgrounds that are close to normal people. But in generally awful circumstances, their lives are going to crap 90% of the time. And it's a cathartic experience for British people to watch that because they can watch it and go, yes, I relate to these characters in a way, but fuck, their life is so much worse than mine. I don't have it that bad. Whereas in America, you said it's like aspirational. They all live in massive houses. Does that tie in with a type of American dream mindset of, I want to watch people on my TV that I can, I can grow up and be like, or I can continue to dream to be like with these massive mansions? Is that close to
0: being right? I could be wrong. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. UK audiences... The the reason Dallas and Dynasty were so big in the 80s in the UK is because we hadn't seen anything like that. It was completely aspirational. It was completely, you know, it was like primetime soap. That's what they called them, rather than daytime soap. So they throw more money at it. But it's still still written kind of by the same people. You know, I, I worked on All My Children with people who would write Dynasty, and it's like they were basically writing the same characters. But it's constantly like, yes, it's like... In America say like during the the Great Depression of the 30s so that's where cinema was at its height and that's where all those wonderful Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire musicals come from and everything because people wanted escapism they wanted to go somewhere and look at all these wonderful dresses and these beautiful houses and go oh my gosh that's amazing and and it takes them out of their life for a little bit, and I think the same is now it's in a daytime basis that like you can be, you know, it's 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 hard the world over, and you you sit there in middle America and life's not great, and then, you know, for an hour or two you go from one of your soaps to another, and it's these rich people who have problems as well, but they look fabulous and they have gorgeous houses, <laughs> um, whereas here we try to create characters who are as much like us, the British public, as as possible. And the difficulty is, it's like Ken Barlow in Coronation Street, you know, I worked on that show for 22 years, and even when I was there, there were five occasions where we had to have him lose his job or lose his money or something, because otherwise he would have left Coronation Street and moved somewhere else. So you're constantly trying to drag people down. You know, you know, as soon as anyone wins some money on a lottery, they can't keep it. They have to use it. Because they would move.
1: I was going to say, like most of these people, why the fuck do they live in Albert Square and Coronation Street? and You'd leave these cursed, horrible towns where everyone's lives are awful. You'd go.
0: <laughs> it's a complete joy to live in any of those places, of course. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah Darren, just moving on to the reality tv side of things which has obviously been a huge part of your career most notably setting up casting and producing all series and specials of made in chelsea firstly how do you operate as a writer in this specific genre of television and then secondly how freeing or difficult is presumably setting up a storyline only for then the actions of a real person to take the plot of the show in a completely different direction
0: Yeah, the first thing when people know that I work on those shows, they go, I knew it wasn't real, I knew it was written. And you go, (laughs) no, it's not written and it's not real. I'm not a writer on that, I'm a story exec. So what that basically means is I I am told constantly what the cast are doing in their lives, how their relationships are going, what they feel about the other ones. And then you sit down, and you take that information the the day you get it, and we're filming the next day, and you structure stories. You go, well, that's a good story to follow. A story that, that we'll follow those four stories. Those 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 cast. We we'll use some of this cast for here, some of this cast for this, and then you then I structure the the episode to bring out the comedy and bring out the drama. So it's basically. You know, if you have, this is the example I always give. You have a boy and a girl who have been dating for about two months. And we say to her, how's it going? She goes, oh, it's amazing. He's brilliant. I love him. I'm really hoping that we can uh, move in together. Then you speak to him and he goes, well, you know, yeah, not feeling it, not feeling it. I thought it'd be different than this. And um, there's someone else I like. You go, okay. So they are then called to a wine bar or a restaurant to do their scene. They, He knows, I know his agenda, which is, yeah, I want to break up. I know her agenda, which is, oh, I'm really hoping he asks me to move in with him. So oh, you God. sit there and you know, I know it's cruel, but you know that it's like, okay, she, so she's going to get really upset. So the director already knows oh. to, like, stay on her. Is she going to run out or something? Or is she going to cry? Like, stay on her. And then you'll be doing the scene, halfway through the scene, you'll go, He's not said anything. So, you know, you just you you don't really know where it's gonna go. Is he gonna chicken out? In which case you you're no good planning the next scenes, basically. Is he gonna chicken out or is he <laughs> going to say what we think he's going to say? And more you know, most of the time they say what they what they're there to say, what they want to say. And then you, you know, you, you, you take your next scene, like, you know, you'll talk to her afterwards and she'll go "Oh, you know, that's awful. Like, is there anyone you want to talk to now? You go, I want to talk to my friend. So you, then you go, right, we'll plot that scene and we'll take it to that. And so that's how we do it. So it's their lives. We do never put words in their mouths. All I do is gently structure to get a story so that, I know I'm going for a cliffhanger for the end of the show with my duff-duff moment, as it were, if it was EastEnders. And I've just got to get that. It's great. That's really fascinating. The, the reality is you do not know what's going on. I mean, yeah. last season, we had uh, one of our wonderful cast, Mabah, had, dis- had told us before the season started, I'm going to propose to my boyfriend, James. I'm going to propose to him. And we're like, oh, okay, okay. So we build it up, and <coughs> then we take them all away. In episode six, she decides to, this is when it's going to be it. She gets down on one knee with a ring, and he goes, whoa, no. No, why would I do this? This is not what I want. If When we get married, I want to propose to you. And she's like, you're joking. She goes, no, no, don't you know me? And like, so we all thought he would say yes. (laughs) So because of this, you're going, Follow her, follow her. Wherever she goes, follow her. And so she runs upstairs in tears, and you're running up the stairs with a camera. And like, <laughs> come here, come here. <laughs> Who do you want to talk to about this? And you run and get them and bring them up, and you just—it's—it's it's amazing because it is like live. It's like like live television, because you do not know what's going on. You don't know who you're going to be using next. You don't know where it's going. But I've got to make sure that when we we, we reach the end of the episode, we have got a climactic ending, which makes you want to watch the next episode.
1: It's the same as a soap. That must be utterly exhilarating to be on set. I mean, there are moments, I guess, when you're like, ah, that could have been more like this because you can't write it. But when you get a moment like that, you must be like, Ah, oh, there we go. That's the trailer sorted.
0: It is, it is difficult because often I go, oh, if I can write this scene, I know exactly what they want them to say, but you, you can't, you know, so you just like ru- like watching, like, you know, biting your finger going, oh, come on, come on, come on. Get close to
1: what <laughs> I want. Does that then feed back when you're writing your dramas or your soaps? I mean, I know with Made in Chelsea and like all these structured reality televisions, it's a very much set category of individual in a certain sense you know in Made in Chelsea the majority of them are going to have a lot of money they're going to come from a really privileged background so I guess they are rather extreme people that's probably the wrong terminology but does it then help you spending so much time watching these people interact in front of the camera being themselves does that naturally feed into when you're writing your other scripts?
0: It it does and look it helps me personally a great deal I mean I know I'm the only writer who does both camps, but it helps, I feel, keep me relevant on a soap because I spend half my working life working with 20-year-olds and no. there's a lot of 20-year-olds in soaps. And so you you stay a little bit more relevant, I think, than if you were just spending all your time with people of your own age, say, you know, because... You know, people change all the time and speech patterns change and points of reference change and dialogue and slang changes. And it's always good to sort of like focus on that a little bit and, and bring that in.
1: Yeah. Christian, do you want to ask the last question? I feel like I've jumped in. I got a bit giddy excited with all that. I got. Do you want to ask the last question before we move on to rapid fire?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything outside of soaps and structured reality TV that you're working on right now? Or if not, is there anything specific you'd really like to do in the future?
0: I'm working on a um, a big 10 part drama in the States, which we're still like plotting, which would be fantastic. I've wanted to do stage plays. I've written a couple, but never they weren't they're not very good to be honest um i was writing <laughs> a film this this year and then i realized um i was commissioned to write a film and i wasn't engaging in the subject matter at all so in the end i said to the producers look you need to find someone else here's the money back i just felt i um, this is always going to be bottom list of my priorities because i can't get into the, the whole concept of it so yeah um, yeah you've got to know yourself there's no point just taking on a yeah, no. obviously, most people aren't in the position that I am in, where I can turn a job down, and I'm very aware of that. So, just freaking from my personal point of view, there's no point me taking on a job if I know I'm not right for it. Obviously, if you aren't in that situation and a job comes along, take it. My thing for years has always been say yes to everything, say yes, 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 because you never know where it's going to lead you. You know, if you're if you're an actor. And you just want to do film, well, then terrific. But chances are you're not going to do a great deal of film, you know? And if you get offered a, a soap or if you get offered a continuing drama or a drama series or something, whatever the role is, say yes, because you could meet someone on that t- t- doing the filming of it, which leads to a film role. You just never know what you're doing. The reason I work on structured reality is that the person who set up The Only Way as Essex, Tony Wood, had been my producer on Coronation Street, and he knows that I could do story really quickly. So a whole new career came from from that moment, from a phone call. If I'd have said, no, I don't like the sound of that, Boom, that's that.
1: I think it feeds back to the old cliche of it's who you know as much as what you know. But I think some people misinterpret that by going, well, if my dad's not a famous casting director, that doesn't apply to me because I just have to, I just have to do it. But actually you need to go out and meet people and that is easier than it sounds in some ways, especially in this modern era of social media and emailing, it is easier than it used to be, I think.
0: It um, is, yeah, but it's also harder because I think the thing about social media is it stops the people being able to actually talk to go somewhere and talk face to face, which seems to be like a, a dying art form. But if you're an actor and you're wanting to get into television or you want to get into theatre or whatever, then find out the places where those people hang out. Hang out. Become friends with people. They'll introduce you to people. You know, it. it that is, that's in the sense of who you know. I mean, the, you know, that, that rather than the whole nepotism thing or anything, which isn't a thing really anymore, it's like... If you want to write something for television, if you're interested in writing, find out what it is you want to write. Don't just go, oh, I want to write. Well, yeah, what do you want to write? Do you want to write comedy? Do you want to write drama? Do you want to write soap? What do you want to write? And then when you've discovered that, what are the shows that turn you on? And then if you really like a certain show in a certain genre, look on the credits. Find out who the producer is, you know? I was given an example 15 years ago. I was working on Coronation Street as as the archivist and I got a letter from, from somebody, I didn't know who they were and he was like, but the letter reminded me of, of me and he was like, oh I love Coronation Street I'd love someday if you ever do any work experience so I was like right okay so i went to the producer and i said look i know i get loads of these letters but i really think there's something about this guy and i think we should have him up for, for for an interview and the other thing is he lives in brighton and we're in manchester and he's in he's and he's a student i think we should pay his fare so i wrote a letter back and then this guy came to see me and his name was uh brian brian kirkwood and i took him on for a week's work experience halfway through the week i said, "Right." And we're looking for. I'm looking for someone to help me out and stuff. Do you want that? Oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. And then um, he went into the story office, and then he went into the the scripting office. Then he left. He went on to produce Hollyoaks and EastEnders, and that is because and he, and he's now a writer on EastEnders as well. So it's great. I get to work with him again. But him then going on to EastEnders when he worked when he left Hollyoaks, he went to EastEnders. And I was just leaving Coronation Street, and said, "Come work on EastEnders." So it's like it is in the sense of like who you know in that way, but it only it only worked because someone took a chance on him. You know, I got my job because one of the producers took it. Well, Tony Warren, who created Coronation Street, met him and he took a chance on me. And there are well, this is what we do constantly: <laughs> writers, producers in the industry. Now I know I don't know of anyone who doesn't do this. If we meet somebody and they're really interested and you and you feel there's something there, you will go out of your way to try and help them. Nothing's yeah. guaranteed, but you'll try.
1: I think Christian will agree with me when we say a miniature version of that is what's happened with this podcast. I mean, it was a lockdown idea back in 2020 and we were like, oh God, is anyone ever going to want to talk to us about this? But we just reached out to people we knew or had sort of maybe we liked the work that they did initially and the amount of people that went yeah we'll we'll talk to you and and have continued to do so is fantastic i don't know if you agree with that christian that we were just so terrified that no one's going to want to talk to us and some people have it's great
2: yeah i thought we'd get like two views check in and that
1: would be me and you My Maybe man. Mom, yeah, my, I was about to say my mum as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. But yeah, totally agree with that, Darren. So we are now going to move on to our world famous rapid fire section here in the room. It's, it's, <laughs> Chris just off. it's just it's a little thing we add on at the end. We have got 10 probably quite boring or interesting however you want to take it they're just industry questions that we'd love you to answer if you can in one sentence or less to finish this podcast off on a nice rapid note so darren are you ready for the in the room rapid fire section i am
2: ready take it away christian what makes a good actor my gosh
0: that's impossible to say (laughs) there's not a rapid answer to that what makes a good actor is somebody who is willing to open themselves up to completely grab a role and run with it. Theatre or cinema? Mm. Theatre.
2: Biggest industry pet peeve?
0: Getting a lot of notes on the script. <laughs>
1: Should everyone listen to the In The Room podcast?
2: Yes. <laughs> Comedy or drama? Drama.
1: Drama. A skill every actor you think should have?
2: A hard skin. Your greatest strength?
0: Imagination.
2: Your biggest weakness? Getting too involved. Favourite word to write in a script? Seduce.
1: What would be the title of a structured reality show based
2: on your life? Oh my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Probably chaos
1: i'd watch that that sounds amazing brilliant well thank you so much darren that is the end of our chat with you today it's been it's been so good i mean we don't really talk to that many writers and especially someone with with your type of experience in the ways that you do i learned so much chatting to you today i'm sure christian did as well so we just want to say a massive thank you for coming to talk to us today and we're sure all the listeners are going to love listening to this podcast so darren thank you so much for joining us in the
0: room today It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you.